Today on Ag News Daily. So right now going forward for the milk market, um, you know, we should see an uptick in demand start to uh, be seen, seasonal holiday buying. Today on Ag News Daily. Well, listeners, you are here with Jennifer for the week. Tanner and Delaney are both out on vacations with their family and friends, and I am here and excited to give you all a week of news. So let's jump on into it, beginning with our weather. Through successful farming, we are seeing that flood watches and hazardous weather outlooks have been issued for parts of northern Illinois and Indiana as scattered storms roll through the area, according to the National Weather Service. Heavy rainfalls in the next 24 hours may lead to flooding in areas along waterways, the NWS said in a report early this morning. Scattered showers will continue across central Illinois through the morning along with isolated thunderstorms. Severe storms are not expected, but locally heavy rain in excess of an inch per hour is possible in the strongest storms. In southern Illinois and southeastern Missouri, Downpours will be brief but heavy this morning and this afternoon. More storms are possible in the area each day this week. Multiple rounds of severe weather with damaging winds are possible every day this week, the National Weather Service said. Heavy rain and flash flooding are also serious concerns. Taking a turn into a different news story today, we are going to look at cropland values as they soar 33% in three years. USDA's annual land values report estimated cropland to be worth an average of $5,460 an acre nationwide this year, compared to $4,100 in 2020, when the acceleration in land values began. The Northern Plains saw the largest increases among regions in the past year, up 14%, led by a nearly 17% surge in Kansas. The three-year increase was even larger in Kansas, 65%, reaching an average of $3,440 an acre, according to the USDA data. Heady increases were notched in the top two corn and soybean states, up 31% in Illinois and 41% in Iowa. The Hawkeye state topped $10,000 an acre for the first time. California, the state with the most expensive farmland, recorded a 23% increase in three years to $15,880 an acre. Texas, number one in cotton and cattle, saw an increase in 23%. Real estate is often the foundation of a farmer's finances, and for the farm sector, it amounts to $4 of every $5 in assets. Earlier this year, the USDA said it expected land values to rise far more quickly than debts, meaning an increase in farm sector equity and a larger bulwark against adversity. Land markets were expected to cool somewhat this year to single-digit increases in price. Instead, the double-digit escalation of 2021 and 22 said the senior vice president, Paul Schgaddeg of Farmers National Co., the farm management and real estate company a month ago. Farmers are the predominant buyers of farmland, although investors help set a floor on prices. 
Switching over to Tyson Food News, as falling chicken and pork prices as well as slowing demand for its beef products are reasons Tyson Foods cited on Monday for missing Wall Street expectations for third quarter revenue and profits, a Reuters report said. Shares fell about 8%. The company said it is evaluating all operations and closing four more U.S. chicken plants in the latest bid to reduce costs. CEO Donnie King shared with analysts that the company is looking at everything in terms of how it works across the board. Tyson has been cutting corporate jobs and shuttering other chicken plants in 2023 because of declining profits and reduced demand from consumers, squeezed by inflation and higher interest rates. The company raised prices last year to offset spiraling feed and labor costs, but has been hit in 2023 by lower prices in core protein segments. Predicting demand continues to be a struggle, and the reduced demand for beef is making it difficult to pass on higher costs to consumers. Net quarterly sales fell 3% to $13.14 billion in the quarter that ended July 1, below analysts' expectations of $13.59 billion. The company's average sales prices fell 16.4% for pork and 5.5% chicken, while rising 5.2% for beef. Chicken demand today has changed greatly from a quarter ago, company leaders shared with Reuters. In beef business, Tyson faces reduced profit margins too, in light of reductions in the U.S. cattle herd. Net losses attributable to Tyson were $417 million, or $1.18 dollars per share compared with a net income of 750 million dollars or two dollars and seven cents per share on an adjusted basis tyson earned 15 cents per share falling short of an analyst's expectations for a profit of 26 percent per share according to refinitive data looking at our final article of the day food price index edges upwards on fears of distributed supplies. The FAO Index of Global Commodity Prices rose 1.3% during July, its second increase since April, reflecting the termination of the Black Sea Grain Initiative and India's restrictions on rice reports. The increases increases punctuated a longer-term decline in commodity prices the past year. The upturn in the food price index was, quote, led by a solid rise in the vegetable oil index of 12% during July, said the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. It was the first increase in vegetable oil prices after seven months of declines. The four other components of the index, grains, dairy, meat, and sugar, were down from the previous month. This pronounced increase in July was driven by higher world quotations across sunflower, palm, soy, and rapeseed oils, the FAO stated. International sunflower oil prices rebounded by more than 15% month-on-month, primarily underpinned by renewed uncertainties surrounding the exportable supplies out of the Black Sea region, after the decision taken by the Russian Federation to terminate the implementation of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Ukraine is the world's largest exporter of sunflower oil, as well as leading a supplier of wheat and corn. Although the cereal grain index was marginally lower in July due to lower corn and soy gum prices, international wheat prices rose by 1.6%. 
marking their first month-on-month increase in nine months, mainly driven by the uncertainty over Ukraine's exports, the FAOs shared. The sub-index for rice increased by 2.8% in July to reach its highest level since September 2011, driven mostly by price increases in the Indica market segment. In a companion report, the FAO forecast world cereal grain production at a record 2.819 billion tons in 2023. The harvest would be 1.1% larger than last year and almost entirely reflects better prospects for global wheat production. All the same, the forecast of 783.3 million tons of wheat in 23-24 would still be slightly smaller than the record wheat harvest of 801.8 million tons in 22-23. Switching over to our grain contracts for the day in market, September corn is down two cents, leaving it at 482 and a quarter. December corn is down a dollar or a quarter and a half at 495 and three quarters. Moving into September soybeans down 38 and three quarters, leaving it at 1348 and a quarter. November beans are in the red 31 and a quarter at 1302 even. September hard red winter wheat is at is up 17 and a quarter, bringing it to 769 and three quarters. And finally, for our grain contracts for the day, September spring wheat is in the green two cents, leaving it at eight twenty-four and a quarter. Moving into our livestock for the day, October live cattle are in the red one forty-seven, bringing it to one eighty-one point four two. Looking at September feeder cattle, they are in the red. 2 and 57 cents bringing it to 250.87 finally wrapping up our livestock markets for the day october lean hogs are up 175 bringing it to 84.825 jumping into our market monday interview for the day we have naomi bloom of total farm marketing with us Naomi, we are excited to have you. Listeners, we have Naomi Bloom with us of Total Farm Marketing. And Naomi, it looks like the markets have been very volatile lately. What has been going on there? Yeah, so looking first with the grain markets, what we are seeing is a pattern of trying to understand where the yield is out in those fields, especially for corn and soybeans. The market uh, today was down because most of the Midwest had some good rain coverage this weekend, and the weather forecast now for early August is cooler, so low 80s, which is wonderful for soybeans and good for filling out the kernels on corn. So without any big, fresh, bullish news, prices are testing some major support levels for corn and soybeans both. So on December corn, um, 490 is support. And on the November beans, that $13 area is a support area as well. So we dipped below those a little bit today, um, but into the close, we're able to kind of finish a little bit above those levels. And now we're just waiting to see what the USDA says for yield on this coming Friday's USDA report. 
Absolutely. And with the weather being all over the place between being hot and drifting down to cool, and we've had a bit of rain every once in a while, how do you think that that has been playing more into the markets and affecting everything on the table right now? Yeah, so the traders are definitely watching the weather forecasts. And I think also top of mind, they're aware that this Friday's USDA report is not going to have boots in the ground to determine yield values. So we're not going to have that solid, you know, hands-on material. Friday's report is going to be based on a little bit of satellite imagery and farmer survey. So traders are able to use weather weather reports and weather forecasts for short-term day trading types of things until we get the USDA report Friday. And then ultimately some crop tours will start at the end of the month. And then that'll give us a better estimate of what really is out in those fields or not. But right now the perception is that um, it, it may not be a record crop, but what we're seeing is that we don't have a reason at this moment to think that it's gonna be a total disaster out there, especially with some of the timely rains that have had that have occurred. And then also with the recent rains and current forecast for the cooler temperatures as well. Definitely. And you've mentioned in there a couple of times the upcoming report for the end of this week. Do you have any predictions or major thoughts going into it that producers and sellers should be aware of? Well, what we're going to be watching on the report is to see if the USDA does anything with yield. Now, for corn, they had a yield of 177.5 on the last report. I think trade is kind of thinking it's going to be somewhere between 175 or 176 for Friday's corn yield number. But ultimately, if it's 175, carry out for corn is still at 2 billion bushels. And, and as an end user here and around the world, that makes them feel that there might be some comfort in terms of adequate supply, and it could allow for prices to work lower. Um, now, if the USDA were to give us a surprise on Friday, the surprise would be if they came up with a yield number at like less than, let's say less than 174. That would give the market a reason to kind of dig its heels in for the short term. And for soybeans, really hard to know what they're going to put on there for yield. The number that they're working off of is 52 right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they do anything with it. But the other thing we have to be watching on this report is what the USDA does for exports, specifically for corn. We're still not quite on target for where the USDA thinks that we should be for the old crop. Um, so that might affect old crop carryout levels. And then we'll see if the USDA does any tweaking of demand for the new crop balance sheets for both corn and soybeans as well. Definitely. And looking forward to some more on the livestock and dairy side, what has that looked like changing from crops to our animal industry? Yeah, well, I'll start with the with the dairy complex. The dairy market um, had uh, it's been kind of all over the place. So, you know, not too long ago, it was just down in the dumps. Prices were just so low, really oversold technically um, with prices for September milk getting into the low to mid $15 level. But recently the cheese market has improved and cheese prices have been increasing. So that pushed the class three milk price higher um, up to about 1850. And then last week had a little bit of a pullback um, just because 
we had to wait and see for some fresh news. So right now, going forward for the milk market, um, you know, we should see an uptick in demand start to uh, be seen. Seasonal holiday buying um, should show up for all components of the dairy complex. But we're still going to be watching what cheese demand is doing and watching upcoming milk production reports. Milk production growth is now flat year over year. Cow numbers are down from the same month from a year ago. Uh, so production just starting to slow down, which is supportive for milk prices. But we, we still don't have a big reason for a rally, especially with dairy exports being down from a year ago. Um, but at least we're, we're not in those terrible prices anymore. Um, finding some value at the mid-17 to low $18 level in the dairy complex. Uh, looking over at the hog market, hog futures have, you know, nearby contracts just been on a terror higher, really supported by strong cutout values overall. Um, but the deferred contracts are pretty content to, to trade in a little bit more of a sideways pattern, like the October and December contracts, um, just kind of going back and forth in a sideways motion. Um, we're going to want to see what um, production is going to be doing in the months ahead. Right now, the hog market's been benefiting from a general uptrend in pork prices and seasonally lower hog weights. Uh, one thing to be noting that the October hogs are trading at um, about a $20 discount to cash. And it's normal to have that market trade at a discount to cash, but the five-year average is more like $13. So that would be supportive to the October futures. And we're going to want to keep an eye on export demand. Looking over at the cattle complex, that market was substantially lower today in the feeders, about two and a half lower across the complex there and live cattle down a buck to one and a half. Um, I think just not a lot of big fresh news for that complex. The, the story, of course, still is supportive because of low cattle numbers. Um, but now we're going to want to see what the cash market does this week and what cutout values do. Um, might see a little bit more profit taking or sideways trading for the cattle complex. But overall, in the big picture, it still is a friendly story. Okay, so it sounds like there's a mix of some upsides and downsides in there, but looking forward to our 2024 sales right now, how aggressive are you recommending everyone be getting with that or kind of laying off a little bit as well? Um, well, I think back to um, the grain markets, a lot of producers on the rally that we had in July were able to get to a third to a half forward contracted for their corn and beans, just depending on their comfort level for the crop in their backyard. But I think a lot of people did take advantage of it between old crop and new crop. Um, right now, I would say, you know, put a put a pause on it. Uh, seasonally, it is a little bit normal for corn and bean prices to drift a little bit lower during the month of August, but then we usually find a pretty good harvest low. And because I think a lot of the industry is really thinking for corn specifically, it's not going to be a record crop out there. Um, and we just need a little bit more time to know what is or isn't there. So there's, I, I don't have a reason why we need to go racing higher back to $6, but I also don't have an immediate reason why things are going to just totally crash and burn and fall apart. But they might just kind of get, prices might just drift a little bit lower. So I guess I'm trying to say hold off on anything further for now. There'll be some opportunities again down the road. Um, new this morning for news, the... In China, it's been a little bit rainy and floody, 
in some of their growing regions. And so the Chinese corn price is starting to work higher. So maybe we'll see them need to import a little bit more corn or a little bit more sorghum than what they were anticipating. So that might be some new demand that shows up. Um, but again, you know, we'll see what this Friday's USDA report has to say. And there are some private crop tours coming up soon and some satellites and satellite companies that are gonna be throwing out their yield numbers for guesses. And so um, a lot to come up going um, forward. And um, again, prices might be a little bit defensive for the short term, but this is that time of year where give it a couple of weeks and we'll find our harvest low soon. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us today for Markets, Naomi. If listeners have any questions or need any more insights, where's the best place they can get a hold of you or look further into things that we talked about today? Sure. You can uh, give me a call at 800-334-9779. Just ask for Naomi. Um, or you can find me on Twitter, now called X, I guess, um, at Naomi Bloom, and uh, feel free to follow me there. Perfect. Thank you again, Naomi. Well, listeners, thank you for joining me for an edition of Market Monday. I will be here all week and I'm excited to share some exciting interviews with you all throughout the rest of the week. But in the meantime, we're going to let you go. (laughs) 